The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Well, here I am back in the hemisphere. Welcome back. Thank you. I am in the process of upgrading my Apple Watch to Apple Watch OS 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it's already borked on me once, so I've. Uh, this is round two. All right. Well, I do have iOS 9 on my uh, iPhone and my iPad. I kind of like it, actually. Oh, great. It's going to be one of those episodes, <laughs> Well, it? no, it doesn't have to be, but it probably will descend to those levels. No! Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Doctor Who returns. We'll tell you why the series premiere is a lot like a 48-year-old Star Trek episode. We'll get all timey-wimey on you. Want to recreate that Friends episode in which Ross's Princess Leia fantasy comes true? It'll only cost you 80 grand. iOS 9.0, my God, it's like Android. We'll look at the latest features in Apple's newest operating system. Plus, how to win a track dot luggage tracer. And why Alan's wife won't let him buy a sex robot. It's all about the science. And now, Alan Cross. Michael I have to tell you, I am thrilled, so thrilled that I actually got the 12-year-old scotch out. Oh, good. What's the occasion? To find that you, after season one, two, and three of me desperately trying to get you to watch <laughs> Doctor Who, you finally did. Here's what happened. Uh, I arrived home from a very long flight from Kuala Lumpur at about quarter after eight on Saturday night. I had something to eat and was so out of it that I needed to just lie on the couch and watch something. Lo and behold, my dear wife had been watching something on space and had left it there. And, oh, Doctor Who, season finale, uh, season premiere. Okay, well, whatever. What? You mean, you mean it wasn't even intentional? It, it wasn't even intentional. But I'm glad I watched it because I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. Now, for those who may not have seen it, we are going to give you exactly seven seconds to avoid the spoiler by skipping ahead two minutes on the big show. And if you're listening to us on the Bell Media Radio Network, quick, change it to something else. That's also on the Bell Media Radio Network. Mines, really creepy. Hand mines, yes, these things are not land mines. They're hands that come up with eyeballs in the palm, look around and grab at your leg if you walk past. I mean, this is a series that's been around for 50 plus years, right? And you'd be hard pressed to be uh, original at this point. But I thought that was that was kind of cool. I liked the aliens makeup. There were a lot of really goofy looking aliens. And uh, I do like the fact that Doctor Who made his entrance playing a guitar, uh, riding a tank. Vortex manipulators use a slave to mine. Cheap and nasty time travel. Face me, magician. Face 
throw up, don't you? Pick a local. According to you, this is where the doctor is. Okay, how do we find him? How do we know what we're looking Anachronisms. for? Anachronisms. The slightest, tiniest. All right, a couple of things, Mr. Star Trek fan. I, you may notice I did not call you a Trekker or a Trekkie. I will not denigrate you on that front. However, Thank you. us Whovians would like to point out it is not Doctor Who. He is just simply the Doctor. Yes, okay, fine, the Doctor. But the big, the big spoiler was that he meets up with the boy during that war that you were talking about with the hand mines, he meets up with the creator of the Daleks before he was anything but a little boy. You have one chance in a thousand, and one is all you ever need. What's your name? Come on, faith in the future. Introduce yourself. Tell me the name of the boy who isn't going to die today. Davros. My name is Davros. Now that's a bit of a Star Trek twist. You know, the idea of meeting your grandfather as a child and what do you do with that uh, situation? Do you, you know, do you, if you bring that person to harm, then you will never exist. So I, I know it's, it's one of these, these time travel sort of situations. I, I, I liked it. I had to, fortunately I do have the the laptop next to me on the couch, which meant that I could go back to Wikipedia and figure out who this Davros guy was because I had no idea. The moment I heard Davros, I'm like, oh my God. I thought it was some sort of conference in Switzerland with business leaders. <laughs> yes, that happens after the Bilderberg group meeting. Right, and the Illuminati. But the idea that he had an opportunity to kill the creator of his most vile creation, because it, it's him who ultimately is responsible for creating the Daleks because he lets this boy go uh, and fend for himself in this field of hand mines. Now, I'm not sh clear as to why he let him go. Because he couldn't kill him, but he couldn't not kill him. So he he just let the kid figure it out for himself. So so the doctor recognizes Davros as a boy? Yes. So He knows exactly who that was when the little kid said his name. So how did the doctor end up in that field with the hand mines in the first place? Well, because it's a two-parter and it comes full circle back to him going back in time to the point shortly after he had abandoned the kid, after Clara is vaporized and after his, I'm not going to say love of his life because that's not actually true, but one of his oldest friends is also vaporized. Well, we think so. So now the question becomes when he goes back to that point where he let the kid live and grows into this horrible monster known as Davros, does he go back this time and kill him so that he can't actually kill Clara and his friend? Now, this reminds me a lot of the Star Trek episode, The City on the Age of Forever, when Spock and Kirk have to go through this time portal to get Dr. McCoy because sometime, he somehow alters history. And Kirk falls in love with Joan Collins and it gets all really weird, but they have to let her die. Sorry, spoiler alert. They have to let her die in order that history be corrected. So here you have a drama about wanting to change something, not because it's historical and you've got to stop Hitler from killing uh, all those people, but because it's love. It's emotion. It's your heart 
that without this person, your life has less or no meaning. And you're and you can't stop it. It's like a nightmare. So what you're saying is that history is repeating itself in the world of time travel TV shows. Yeah, this is this is a common trope. This is something that uh, a lot of science fiction writers will do. It's very interesting because it, it, it does do your head in a little bit. You know, what's not uncommon is for the showrunner of a particularly popular show to actually adopt something that a fan had suggested. And that's exactly what happened with this Series 9 launch by showrunner Stephen Moffat. He created a title sequence for the new series based upon what a motion graphics specialist from Leeds by the name of Billy Hanshaw had done. Moffat actually had said, you know what, I like your intro better than season eight's intro, so I'm going to do a variation of it for season nine. Wow. So unlike past episodes, episodes where the, the opening sequence is the TARDIS spinning through an ether in a void in a wormhole-like thing, season nine opens with a clock metaphor, with actual gears and the spinning of the face itself. He happened upon it uh, while he was at a New York fan event and got in touch with him and said, we want to do it that way. And uh, that's what they did. Well, it's nice. You know, you're crowdsourcing your fans. Why not? And on top of that, it gets people more involved, which is really unusual because usually it's the exact opposite. You get the, the long arm of the law coming down and smacking you pretty hard. The fact that a fan made a version and they didn't smack it down has a lot to do with this article on GeeksAndBeats.com that Amber Healy put out, which reads, A lawsuit over a 29-second video posted eight years ago has the potential to shake up how copyright owners protect their material. This was that video of the little kid from eight years ago dancing to Prince's Let's Go Crazy in the background, and they came down on the mother like a ton of bricks. And that's Prince, too, because Prince has this love-hate thing with the Internet. And uh, back then, he hated it and didn't like the idea of anybody appropriating his, his music for, for any sort of material, including fair use. So this, uh, basically, it's okay now, or it, there's a certain amount of permissibility involved in putting music to things on the internet? Before a takedown notice can be issued to a website like YouTube or what have you, the complainant has to first be able to figure out whether or not it's fair use. Right. Prior to that, it was up to the one on the other, on the receiving end of the takedown notice, to prove that it was fair use. Now, the wide-ranging implications of this in the United States, thanks to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, is that... You can't just willy-nilly send out all of these cease and desist letters. You have to prove that they're valid. And if, in fact, it turns out they're not valid, well, then you're in a lot of legal hot water and you could find yourself on the receiving end of a big fat bill. There was an issue a couple of years ago where people were putting up lip sync videos. Right. And Harvey Danger Flagpole said it was one of those songs. And the, uh, the person who put that lip sync video up, which was fun. It was resurrecting what was, all, by all intents and purposes, a dead song, uh, was ordered to take it down. So I guess this ruling would apply to something like that. This is one of the stakes in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act that we need to drive through its heart. Yeah, no kidding. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. 
All right, so the uh, live streaming reporting of me upgrading my Apple Watch to uh, OS 2 continues. I'm about one quarter of the way through. How long is it going to take? I have no well. It's got to, it's going to transfer 512 megabytes worth of data via Bluetooth, it seems. Oh, okay. Well, that, that explains it. But now you've upgraded iOS 9 on your uh, iPhone. Yeah, um, I have. Uh, this is uh, an iPhone 6 and it's just a regular six. And uh, it's it's snappier. It seems to move a lot quicker. Uh, mm -hmm. There are some new swipe commands that I've never seen before. For example, if you take a looking on the home screen and I swipe to the right, I get things like Siri suggestions, yep. some, some news and a bunch of other things. One of the neatest things about the new upgrade to iOS 9 is that it's trying to be predictive as to what you want to do based upon what you have done. This is the promise that the Newton message pad brought us 20 years ago. And so now if you noticed, if you're on your way to work, the uh, notification screen will pop up telling you how many minutes it predicts based upon traffic load. It'll take you to get there. Now I have to go, as soon as we're done the podcast here, I have to drive into the city. So I'm gonna wait and see if it does anything there. Yep. What else does it do? It does a whole bunch of different things. Uh, for example, you've got public transit directions on it now. Um, you can, uh, if you're on an iPad anyway, you can split the screen. But I think the most valuable feature in the update is the go back quickly option. If you are searching for something and it takes you out of the search and into a different app, there is a top left corner back to search or back to Instagram or back to Twitter so that you can leap right back into the app you're at that kicked you out. You know what I like is, is the new keyboard. So it shows you whether you're uppercase or lowercase. Finally. Yes. That's a, that's a handy thing to have. Android fanboys are screaming right now about all of these features being readily available for years on their versions. One really neat feature is the Wi-Fi Assist. If you are connected to Wi-Fi, but the cellular is stronger, it'll uh, be able to say, forget the Wi-Fi, let's just stick with cellular. Oh, is that why that was happening? Yeah. Oh, okay, because I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. Wait a second, I have a Wi-Fi signal here. Why is it going back and forth between that and cellular? Right. Oh, okay, see? You can uh, actually get Siri to uh, pay attention to you, uh, whether or not you're, in, you're charged. Remember, we were talking about this, how I've got my iPhone plugged in in the corner here while we do the big show. And if I say, hey, Siri, it will launch Siri to get me something that I ask for. And of course, by doing that, I've just got everybody who's using listening to the show on uh, speakerphone, so to speak. There's just kicked in as well. But you had to be charging. You had to be plugged in. Now you don't. Oh, you don't? Really? Right. Hey, yeah. Siri. Well, you have to turn the feature on, and then you have to jump through about five or six hoops. It's in one of the settings under Siri, and the idea is is that you give it four or five different variations of the Hey Siri, and it will then learn to listen to just that pattern while it's, quite frankly, eavesdropping on every single thing you're doing. See, I wanted to use this while I was on the plane coming back from Southeast Asia, but there was no Wi-Fi on the phone, so it was, it was useless. It was turned off, so I didn't get a chance to play with it. Do you know what's in your camera roll now? You've got a dedicated subfolder called Selfies. Yes. <laughs> Which was really embarrassing that I had something in the neighborhood of 1,200 <laughs> Did you? No. That's Just me sad. and my daughter and stuff like that. Anytime it recognizes a face um, in a photo that's been taken with the front-facing camera, uh -huh. it will put it in the selfie folder. So if you, But it won't do it if it's uh, using the back-facing camera. Oh, wait a second. Here, here, set up now. Hey, Siri. Yeah, and it'll make you go through this process like five times. Hey, Siri. 
Hey, Siri. Oh, you can't be silly about it because then it's never actually going to work. It's trying to take the minor variations in your voice as you go along so that it can create a fingerprint of your voice. Hey, Siri, how's the weather today? See, and then it'll start asking you to go through some examples as well to get you that pattern so that it can keep on top of just what the variations are in your voice. Hey, Siri, it's me. Have you noticed as well you can actually change the voice of Siri? I don't want to change the voice. Like uh, Mine is now male and British. <laughs> you got a butler. <laughs> I do. Hang on, let's, let's see if I can do this. Hey Siri, what time is it? It's 7.13 p.m. <laughs> Good evening, Michael. There, see? Now I've got a butler. Siri, your virtual assistant. Oh, there we go. So I've changed mine to, to a British female. I, I, I said it to British female as well. Is my home automation and all the prompts in the house are, are British female as well. And we named her Serena. Uh -huh. um, because that's the Mac voice that's a British female. Uh, I didn't find the British female voice to be as realistic. It sounded like uh, words and, and syllables were chopped together. But uh, the male uh, British one seems to be uh, just jolly good. I'm, I'm a fan of the woman who does the voiceovers for the tube in, in, in London. Oh, yes, the Mind the Gap girl? The mind, uh, no, it's, it's usually a guy that does Mind, mind the Gap. He, sound, he actually sounds like something like, like a Dalek. Uh, but, you know, you are on a central line train. Next stop, Ealing Broadway. You know, I just love the way she talks. Anyway, so I'm going to try and get my phone to talk like her. So you actually ordered the new 6S? Yeah, it should be here Friday. My case came the other day. It said uh, delivery on or about the 25th. We are now about halfway through this Apple Watch OS 2 update. And the feature that I'm really looking forward to is the bedside table mode. You know what I'm talking about? No. What's that? If you put the watch down um, on its charger and it's now lying landscape instead of portrait mode, it will switch the watch face into landscape mode and give you a big uh, text so that you can actually read it as though it was your bedside alarm clock. My phone will be here between the 25th and the 29th. All right. Now, um, whether or not this applies to you, one of the biggest new features in the new iOS 9 is the ability to hide certain photos. Oh. Mm -hmm. The Ashley Madison function. Yes, the Ashley Madison function, <laughs> indeed. Uh, what you can do is you can uh, see the image that you've got. If you don't want anybody just to accidentally swipe left and see it or something, uh, hit the share button, and then there's a new hide option. Now, the images are still visible uh, and can be unhidden if you go into the albums view inside the app itself. So within albums, so if you created a photo album called Naughty Photos You're Not Supposed to See. <laughs> oh, I uh, see. You, Here it is. You'll, you'll still see them in that album but not in the primary camera role as your swipe 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 so if you hand your phone over to somebody else to look at a fun photo and they do that incredibly inappropriate task of starting to browse your photo collection then that's what this is for i was on malaysia airlines flight mh388 oh i saw this photo flying from kuala lumpur to shanghai and I had the route map up in front of me the entire time and i was irrationally anxious until we actually pass the point um, east of Vietnam where MH370 went rogue. And I, I, I'll post some pictures if you want to see it. That's a, that's a little, um, I don't know, vulgar? It wasn't it vulgar. It was, no, I mean, I mean, everybody was watching. It's, it wasn't just me. 
London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. This is your last chance to win a track dot luggage tracker. You were tracking yourself in the air over the skies. Yeah, it turns out that I didn't need my uh, my track dot because uh, I went to some airports that are very very efficient when it comes to baggage. Uh, handling. A buddy of mine uh, flies to France every single year, and he calls it Air Chance instead of Air France. He says they lose his bags. If not on the way there, they lose them on the way back almost every single year. Really? Yeah. Oh, dear. W- with, without, without fail. I'm like, why do you keep using Air France then? Something to do with a deal with his wife. Oh, is that how it works? But this uh, track dot luggage tracker is really neat. It's about uh, the size of an old iPod, maybe, and it uh, it uses cellular. So when you get off the uh, plane and your bag gets off as well and goes along the carousel, it reconnects with the cellular uh, location wherever you happen to be. They've got roaming relationships with everyone. And then it pings your phone and says, I'm here, and it gives you the actual map indication as to where it is and hopefully you are both side by side very handy thing especially if you're flying through some of these airports that are notorious for losing baggage atlanta would be one why because it's a hub did i ever tell you the time that air canada lost an entire aircraft full of luggage an entire plane yeah we were coming back from new york it was like lost but for luggage kind of we landed went to the gate went through customs Ended up at the carousel, waited, 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 waited. 45 minutes later, the bags are still not there. So we asked somebody, where are our bags? And they came back and said, we don't know. And what had happened was they had offloaded everything in the middle of a shift change. And the tractor that pulls all the luggage from the plane to where they're supposed to offload it onto the baggage carousel equipment, nobody bothered picking it up. So it sat out there the entire time? It sat out there the entire time. Well, so they lost an entire plane's worth of luggage on the tarmac at, uh, at Pearson. So, you know, you wouldn't have that problem if you had the track dot. And the way it can be yours is by being a member of the world's worst intern program. It's how we make some cash here at the big show. You have to actually pay us to work on the show, which makes it the worst intern program. And you don't actually do any work. So it's like a real Hollywood intern program. You support the show and we support you back because for every $1 per episode in support, you get one raffle ticket for this. So if you support the show with a, a $10 donation, that's 10 tickets. Next week, we're going to throw them all into a virtual raffle bin, and we will pick the winner on the Wednesday, October 7th show. Yes. Which actually is not next week, is it? What? No, it's two weeks. Which which is exactly what happened to me the other day when I pulled into the auto uh, collision shop to get the minor ding on the new car uh, banged out. Mm. I showed up an entire week early. The problem is that Labor Day was so late. And we have a fee. It just feels like it's later in the year than it actually is. Maybe that's exactly what it is. So you've got two weeks. And so if you support us for two more weeks, then that's uh, additional tickets in the bin as well. So we appreciate TrackDot supporting the big show by making this thing available. And I suppose it's not you know just handy for tracking your luggage. You could probably track, track a whole bunch of different things with it. Well, yeah. I mean, stick it on your dog. There are lots of little doggy-related ones like that, not just that. Stick it on your child. Yes. In your backpack, they have those as well. I I had a friend who needed one of those things, and that was really an unfortunate case. We do want to say, though, thank you very much um, to the patrons of the big show already. Marc Ladoucier. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, L-A-D-O-U-C-E-U-R. Ladoucier? Yeah, close enough. Close close enough, except for the fact. No, no, be Ladoucier. Ladoucier. 
Very nice. So thank you very much, Mark. Rob Laurie, thank you as well. Both of them pledged $1 with a $0 lifetime limit. Aaron Warner pledged $1 with a $50 lifetime limit. So at the end of 50 episodes worth of support, uh, it will stop digging his uh, card. We've got a whole bunch of other people as well to thank. Uh, we uh, can go out to geeksandbeats.com to check that out. Gary Stuthers, uh, one of the earliest ones, still supporting the big show. Are we making some money this week? We're making about 100 bucks an episode. That's That's good. Better than a slap in the belly with a wet fish, I'm told. Well, we don't want to brag because we're certainly not making a living off this program. Uh, we It does cost us stuff. And it almost cost me a heck of a lot more. For some strange reason, our MySQL database, you know, the, the SQL is the format of databases that is powering the Internet these days. And uh, we had a one gigabyte database when it should have been 100 megabytes. Oh. And our service, yeah, our service provider was like, hey, we're going to cut you off if, if you don't fix this. Turned out it was spam going into the feedback feature on the website and just being added to the database 900 megabytes of spam you're kidding holy crap Um, is that why we were down for a little bit (laughs) that was why we were down for an ever so little bit so how did you solve that um, by manually going through and deleting all the spam. <laughs> how many how many messages were there? Um, that was about 33,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link, become a member of the World's Worst Intern Program, you could win yourself one of these track dots, and we appreciate your support. Geeks and Beats update on uh, Star Wars. We've been talking a lot about this and uh, the costume that Carrie Fisher wore in episode six, Return of the Jedi, is up for sale. Is this the one that we see her wearing at the foot of Jabba the Hutt? We have powerful friends. You're going to regret this. Is there any other costume that would garner any attention whatsoever? than that slave Leia costume. Okay, all right. So the slave girl outfit. That's right. Invaluable.com says the starting bid is $80,000. Man, this stuff, you know, the Beatles, their very first contract, 1961, very first record contract, went up for sale the other day, $78,000. Wow. There's so much money to be made in this memorabilia. This is the actual costume that Carrie Fisher wore in Return of the Jedi in 1983. Uh, the estimated going price, according to Invaluable.com, is eighty dollars to $120,000. The collection comes with a letter of authenticity by Richard Miller, who is the original designer, the sculptor, the mold maker, and the painter for the costume. And he's been with Industrial Light and Magic for uh, ever since he made this costume. Now, let me ask you a question. You pay... Eighty to one hundred thousand dollars for this thing. What do you do with it? Well, I don't think it would fit me very well. I don't think I'd fill it out. Mm, I don't know, but uh, I, I can imagine someone might know somebody who would fill it out quite well. I don't think you want to wear it. I think this is something that you want to display somewhere. I have to confess, it, it probably isn't. In the, I'm looking at the images, the condition in which you'll find it. This is clearly prop quality clothing. Right. So they had the benefit of um, the the prop maker himself on set in the event there was a problem with it, and he ripped and she ripped it or tore it or, or what have you. Hmm. But uh, yeah, you, you might just want to stick it in a cabinet. No, well, yeah, stick it in a cabinet behind glass with argon gas. 
you know, to keep it from 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 falling apart even further. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame currently has a an exhibition on, and uh, believe it or not, one of the things that they have behind glass. Remember Lady Gaga's meat dress? Oh yes. It's it's still there. It's it's still holding together. It hasn't. Is it in a refrigerated glass case? I, I have no idea how they've managed to keep it fresh all these years. Well, maybe it, it, is it like venison now? It's like beef jerky. Yeah. So, but they've got it on display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Blockade Runner, the miniature from uh, the very first episode, the one you see at the very beginning of the film. We discussed this last week that was originally expected to be the Millennium Falcon that Han Solo flew. But once Space 1999 came out and they had a ship very similar, they had to scrap it. Uh, That one is uh, up for bid for $200,000. Oh, uh, speaking of Millennium Falcons, I'm quite a bit of an airline nerd. So whenever I fly a new airline... I look at the in-flight magazine, and there are two things that I look at. First of all, the route map, because I'd like to see where the airline flies. And then I like to check out their fleet. Boeing 787s, they have 777s, they have some Airbuses and all the rest of it. And then I'm going right down to the bottom. And the very last aircraft that they mention as part of their official fleet is a Millennium Falcon. That's crazy, but but can it do New York to Singapore in less than 12 parsecs? I... Parsecs is a parsecs is a unit of distance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com also available on eight track and cassette. So you're going to explain to us why you were in Singapore this past week. Yes, I was there for a conference called Sports Matters, which is a gathering of uh, sports business types from all over Asia to discuss the business of sports. And I was there with my other company, which is called Major League Mixes. And what we do is we consult with uh, sports organizations on the proper use of music. We were one of the sponsors, and I got to do a seven-minute presentation on day one after the keynote. And uh, I've spent uh, the entire time I've been back with um, following up on all the contacts that I made. So in other words, what you're saying is stadiums can't just simply play rock and roll part two from now on. No, that's true. In fact, I got a tour of something called the Singapore Sports Hub, which is this $1.3 billion complex that has a 55,000 seat stadium, an indoor arena, an aquatic facility and a whole bunch of other things. And uh, they, they need some help with music. So um, I'm, I'm hoping, I pitched them back today, I'm hoping that they'll get back to me and say, hey, yeah, we, we like what you want to do, and uh, here's some money for it. So what's different lately, because you've been going to this conference quite a bit, what, what's the evolution of that line of work? Uh, there is no evolution. It's, uh, this is something I've been doing since November. Uh, and it turns out that we're filling a need that uh, nobody knew existed. Um, because music has been an afterthought for a lot of sports teams, for a lot of sports organizations, for a lot of venues, and they have no idea how to even go about 
collecting together a library, let alone how to organize it in such a way that's useful to themselves, their teams, and their fans. So you're going to play a lot of Santana and Rob Thomas? Oh, did you hear about that conference? The smooth con? <laughs> oh, this is awful. Give me your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. That was a very big song, Santana and uh, Rob Thomas with Smooth. There is now, well, there's planning to be a conference where they celebrate nothing but that song. How do you go about celebrating only one song? Weirdest conference ever. They've got a Kickstarter campaign trying to raise money for it. Uh, good luck with that. All right, I'm on the, I'm on the page now. It's in East Harlem, Manhattan, New York. And uh, uh, part of what people want so far is Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 blasting from the PA speakers uh, for the duration of the event. Um, that there is a, uh, a video style dancing competition. There is a Matchbox 20 themed cosplay, costume play, mm. and vendors of the smoothest foods. Yes. So you got your smoothies, your mashed potatoes, your sorbet. And a variety of purees. I was going to say baby food. <laughs> of, there are vendors of smooth objects featuring Santana and Rob Thomas. What would, be, what would a vendor of smooth objects be? <sighs> River Rock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that viral photo that had been making the rounds of a $190 River Rock with some twine wrapped around it sold at a store in the Hamptons. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I know I have. Yeah, that's weird. There will be a theatrical screening of the official music video for Smooth, Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20, and TV screens that will loop the official music video in all restrooms. Oh, oh there'll be no dawdling in the restrooms. My, my favorite part, though, is possible appearances by Carlos Santana of Santana and or Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. Yeah, doubtful. <laughs> A possible hologram of Santana featuring hologram Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. Maybe a, a poster that you bought at Walmart of Rob Thomas and, and, and Carlos Santana. In parentheses, it says, pending negotiations with Carlos Santana of Santana and Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 hologram booking managers. <laughs> There'll be some smooth karaoke. Oh, God. Oh, and, and, and those who will attend the smooth music con are be, will be called... Smoothalos. Oh, as in Juggalos from I. Okay, from Insane Clown Posse. Smoothalos. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> oh, this has all the. It's it's and it's not a joke. These people seem to be very serious about making this happen. Is Santana a man? It's Carlos Santana, but the band is also called Santana, yeah. right? D dating back to the late '60s, yes. Santana would be described as what? Latin rock? Uh, Latin jazz rock. Yeah, I mean, it all depends. Yeah, it'd be Latin first, uh, and then jazzy rock second. I'm, I'm on I'm on their website right now, and just as a prime example of, you know, twenty year overnight success. Yeah. The band's first public performance was Soul Sacrifice at Woodstock in 1969. 1998, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Is that usually the way it goes? You got to have a, this fantastic body of work behind you before you could actually be qualified for that. What, what does it take to get you in? Well, first of all, you have to, it has to be 25 years since your first release. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you got to grease a lot of palms when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame selection committee. Is this like the Olympic Committee? Uh, Ah, it's, 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 yeah. I mean, it's who, you know, it's, it's a hugely political thing and people, you know, doing things for their, 
for their friends. That's what it is. Santana has sold more than 90 million records worldwide, making them one of the world's best-selling groups of all time. You don't think that's sufficient enough? You think that it's all political? You know, he he deserves to be in, in, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's no question about that. W- what would someone who doesn't know anything about Santana, what would you recommend they, they listen to first? Early stuff. Late 60s, early 70s. That's, that's what you want to listen to. The band was formed in 1967 in San Francisco. Yeah. And that's when they're San Francisco. Did you drove or did you flew? What? Sid Dithers, SCTV. See? What are you, not Canadian? Apparently not. Yeah. You said Abraxas is the uh, album. Abraxas is a good record to have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Abraxas is the second studio album by the Latin rock band Santana. And I only know this because it's written on the internet, so it must be true. That In that particular case, it is true. All right. Uh, now, of the track listing, I'm looking here at uh, a re-release back in 98, but there were originally nine tracks. Any particular one appeal to you more than another? Nope. Fill your boots. Fill your boots. Hey, speaking of filling your boots, this just in, Gizmodo.com reports, don't have sex with robots, say ethicists. This was right up your alley. Mm. <laughs> My wife actually wrote a blog on this today. She, uh, you know, I think sex bots are something that we've been promised for a very long time, much like hoverboards and jetpacks. And food in pill form. And food, well, I don't really care about the food in pill you form. You don't, I do. Do you know how much of a waste of time it is to eat? I just like to pop a pill and keep on going, thank you. I know, I've seen you eat. You're the most boring dinner guest ever. Oh, yeah, I order the same thing at a restaurant every single time. But let's go back and talk about hoverboards, jetpacks, and sex bots. We were promised these many years ago by Walt Disney. And they have yet to appear. And uh, the fact now that there seems to be some kind of... (laughs) Hang on. Wait wait a minute. Walt Disney promised us sex bots? I'm pretty sure when I was seven years old, we went to Tomorrowland at Disneyland. I'm pretty sure that they had a sex bot thing. You're you're pulling my leg. No, I'm pretty sure. It was... They had... um, you know, space travel, they had the touchstone phone and sex bots. A company called True Companion claims to be producing the world's first sex bot by the name of Roxy, which is priced at $7,000 and so far boasts thousands of pre-orders, leading robot ethicists Kathleen Richardson of De Montfort University and Eric Billing of the University of Skuvdi? Skuvdi? Where is Skuvdi? That sounds Swedish. It's got an umlaut, so it's got to be Swedish for common sense. Yeah. Apparently, they are coming out against the whole idea. Well, again, okay, I'll tell you why my wife is against the idea. Okay, why, why is your wife against the idea of sex robots? Uh, obvious reasons. What are the obvious reasons? The obvious reasons are that you'd be having sex with something else. Something other than the one you walked down the aisle with. Exactly. They would be, she would be upset right. about that. And for me, I don't. Did you ever see Ex Machina? No. No, that, that it was actually a really good movie, and uh, the, the the inventor, the creepy inventor in that, um, created his 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 sex bot. Well, his his AIs uh, to also function as sex bots. Dr. Kathleen Richardson is quoted as saying, we think that the creation of such robots will contribute to detrimental relationships between men and women, adults and children, men and men and women and women. Uh, on the campaign's website, the ideas are unpacked further. We believe the development of such robots further objectifies women and children. The development of sex robots and the ideas to support their production show the immense horrors still present in the world of prostitution. And we propose that the development of sex robots will further reduce human empathy that can only be developed by an experience of mutual relationship. What did your wife have to say on this, considering she's like a bodice ripper 
author. Yes, I know. Well, I know you know. Yeah. I read her books and I go, oh my God, that's going on in your head? You should be taking a highlighter to her books, sir. I Listen, um, people who are designing sex bots should take a highlighter to her book. And, and sticky notes? Incorporate. Oh, yeah. And incorporate everything. Can we not say sticky notes? <laughs> Sorry. Post-it notes. Post-it notes. Thank you. That's better. So what was her take on this then? Or should we just call her up here? Uh, but no, no, no. She's gone right now. She's out uh, walking the dog. Um, she, her thing was, uh, it's, it's, it's immoral, it's wrong, and uh, it is another example of how society is becoming desensitized and de-emotionalized and how dare we, we, we um, trivialize something as important as sex. Which is exactly what these two doctors said. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, I'm never going to be able to... Oh, another movie. Um, hey, hey, hang on. When we talk about sex robots, usually we're talking about female sex robots. At least the guys are. Is her opinion identical on a male version? I didn't... You might want to check into that. It never even occurred to me that there might be a male sex bot. See? That's, that's, that's the sexism inherent in the system. It, 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 right there. Ever see a TV series called Humans? No. No, it's, it has to do with uh, AIs that you can bring home. Okay. And uh, there is a special <laughs> there is a special 18 plus for ages 18 plus part of the manual mm-hmm. <laughs> that you have to turn on in your AI. And then if that's the case, uh, you, you turn it on and it's uh, whoop-de-doo. Hey, my Apple Watch just got updated. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.